Happy Sabbath, church family. Thank you for inviting me into your homes and allowing me to talk with you this morning. And by the way, happy Independence Day. When I was a youth, I had the privilege of going to Philadelphia with my family and seeing the Liberty Bell. The tradition about the Liberty Bell is that it was a bell that hung in a belfry in the building where the Second Continental Congress was meeting in early July as they considered the Declaration of Independence. And as the story goes, when it was announced that the Declaration was ratified by the Congress, the bell rang out over Philadelphia. I always thought that was the reason that it was called the Liberty Bell but actually it's called the Liberty Bell because of the inscription on the bell. The inscription is Leviticus 25.10. And that inscription says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. During the days after the Civil War, and again during the 1960s Civil Rights Movement, there was a great unifying around the symbol of the Liberty Bell. The Liberty Bell represented not only freedom, but restoration. Today, I have the privilege of sharing with you the story from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, which is the ultimate story of freedom and restoration. Let's look at it together in our Bible, shall we? Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, He ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. Jesus gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man 
who had been possessed by the legions of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged him to go with them. Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all the tin towns how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Imagine it. Imagine this story with me for a moment. The night before, Jesus had just encountered the perfect storm on the lake. The wind and the waves were so horrific that even his seasoned fishermen disciples could not manage the boat. Jesus had slept in that boat, but being awakened, pronounced, Peace be still. And it was on the lake that Jesus had stilled that the, the boat glided over the waters and entered the harbor there on the beach in the area of the Gerasenes. It was likely very early. The first rays of dawn set the quiet beach in a beautiful silhouette. Jesus got out of the boat, stately, calm, if not a little rumpled from his sleep in the boat the night before. Down the hill, from the tombs, came a man, disheveled, screaming, scowling, clothing torn, mostly naked, cut and bleeding. This would have frightened anyone. But when Jesus saw this man, he did not see what you or I would see. He saw someone that he and his father had created and designed in their hearts from eternity. He was not put off by the man who came running toward him and fell at his feet. Interestingly, that while the man screamed um, his resistance, he was also falling at the feet of Jesus. What have I to do with you? Are you going to torture me, Holy One of God? But Jesus didn't listen to the speech. He watched the actions of the man and heard his heart. I had a deeply meaningful experience that helped me understand this story once. And I've asked my youngest son if I could share it. When my youngest was somewhere between 18 months and three years, I can't remember exactly. 
He went through a period where for weeks on end, he would scream nonstop from about three in the afternoon to about six in the early evening. And I began to call it the screaming Mimi's. It was a frantic time for there was nothing I could find, nothing I could read, nothing I could think of that could calm him. He would become very distraught and everything seemed to irritate him and make him angry. During this time, one desperate afternoon that was particularly bad, I just said to him, Ryan, let's talk to Jesus. And my baby boy screamed, no, but he dropped to his knees and folded his chubby little hands as if to pray. And right then the spirit of God spoke directly to my heart and said, Starla, you're so worried about your performance. You're so worried about your obedience. Man looks on the outward appearance, but I look upon the heart. And I see you turn toward me even when you fail. And this is what I note. And this is what I value. I heard God calm my heart that was struggling with legalism and perfectionism as I saw my precious baby boy fall on his knees, screaming, but eager to talk to Jesus. While you and I would run from such a figure as a garrison man, Jesus was drawn to him. And with compassion, he delivered him from what was tormenting him and set him in his right mind. I've often wondered where did those clothes come from that the garrison was found in when the townspeople came to check on what was going on? Were they an extra set that Jesus himself had? Isn't it meaningful that Jesus clothed him? The dignity and love that he showed this man were wonderful. And in the short time that this man sat at Jesus' feet as a disciple, he gathered in, up and soaked in all the love, I believe, that Jesus could give him. The first thing Jesus did is he delivered the man from all that was tormenting him. The lies, the pain, the emotional and psychological suffering. He set him free. The second thing he did was to honor him and value him. He clothed him with fresh garments and he sat him at his feet. Sitting at the feet of Jesus had a very special meaning. You see, those who sat at the feet of a rabbi were his closest disciples. They were the ones who were being trained by the rabbi. And here this man, who had just moments before been yelling and screaming insults and resistance, is now sitting 
at the feet of Jesus, soaking in every word, soaking in the person of Jesus. The third thing that Jesus did for this man is very interesting. You see, when Jesus got ready to leave at the bidding of the townspeople, this man wanted to continue to be with him. He wanted to stay close to him. In my mind, no doubt this man had never felt love like he was feeling from Jesus that day. But the Savior bade him stay and go tell all the people in his area what great things God had done for him. And by doing that, Jesus restored him not only to his right mind, not only to his, to his purpose in life, but he restored him to his own people. He restored him in society. And the Bible says the people were amazed when they heard his story, which means that they believed him. And that was very significant. He regained status in that community. This story is extreme, like many stories in the Gospel of Mark. And it would be easy to set it aside as just a great story. But I wonder, can't we relate to this madman, the Gergesene, uh, or Gerasene, as Scripture calls him? Isn't it possible that we ourselves have sometimes felt impure and unworthy? Haven't we, at times, gathered dark thoughts and lived among them like tombs of our dreams and hopes? And haven't we sometimes cut ourselves? Oh, maybe not physically, but you see, our thought life can cause us much pain. Self-inflicted injury, they call it. Thoughts that are full of self-condemnation are thoughts that are very painful and thoughts that can lead us down very dark pathways. It's often grieved me that as I speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I often hear that their desire to be perfect keeps them in a place of misery. And their understanding of the voice of the Holy Spirit is conflated with the voice of the accuser of the brethren himself. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit does convict, but it will never leave you low and humiliated and hopeless like the enemy's voice will. The voice of the Holy Spirit may speak to an issue, but it always speaks with love, with that understanding of who you are in Jesus Christ and who you were intended to be from the days of eternity. It will always speak to you with hope. It will always give you courage. You will always feel a new start 
and always deeply loved. So if the voices that are speaking to you seem religious, be careful. They may not be the voice of the Holy Spirit. It may very well be the accuser in his religious cloak, his religious garb. So you see, it is possible, isn't it, that we can relate to the story of the madman turned disciple. In the United States of America, one out of every five people struggles with some kind of mental illness. Whether it's of a mild form or pronounced, that is still about 20% of our population. And the most common form of mental illness is anxiety followed by depression. Both of these are highly treatable and yet many people remain silent and isolated in their depression and anxiety because of their shame and their fear to reach out. I want to tell you today that I understand that. There was a time in my life after a prolonged period of very difficult circumstances that I became completely exhausted of all my resources to cope. I became physically ill, but I was also very broken of heart and spirit. And for several months on end, I would lay in bed for 12, 16, 18 hours a day. And when I would wake up in the morning, my first thought was, rats, I woke up. I understand depression, but I also understand that Jesus is a great savior, a great deliverer, and a great healer. And today I want to talk to those of you who are struggling with depression or anxiety or love someone who is. Let's go back and look at the scripture in Mark 5, at the things that Jesus did for that man, that garrison man. And let's walk through it ourselves. For whether we are just slightly blue or just anxious about what's going to happen with this COVID virus pandemic, or whether we are really struggling deeply with some issues, I think there is help here. Far too often, we are afraid to talk about mental health in the church, but Jesus was not afraid to address it. And I want to be careful here as I say this. I am not conflating the story of an impure spirit or as some scripture, as some uh, versions read, a unclean or evil spirit with mental health. But what I'm focusing on is the anguish that comes, both from mental illness and from what this man experienced. So let's talk about that. 
the first thing I note is that this man came and fell at Jesus' feet. When we are feeling depressed, we often feel very far away from God. When we are anxious, we are not sure that he cares for us. And those thoughts of doubt only intensify our anxiety. But this is, as my son Ryan said when I asked him if I could tell his baby story, this is the ultimate come-as-you-are story to Jesus. You can come as you are, cut, broken, bruised, crazed, naked. Jesus will accept you as you are, and he will help you recover. The man came to Jesus, and as he was clothed, I like to think of he put on the righteousness of Christ. As he was clothed, sitting at Jesus' feet, he began to take in the truths, bathe the truths in his mind that would continue to give him release and healing even after Jesus had left. It's so important that we remember whose we are. I love the promise in, Col in Colossians 1, verse 13. It says this, For he, that is Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And then 1 Peter 2, verse 9 you are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are his special possession. You need to treat yourself and your thoughts as his special possession. And you need to listen to the thoughts of God about you, the promises of God, and put yourself in the wonderful stories of Jesus who touched lepers and ate with publicans and called them to become his disciples and who clothed and visited with a madman. Although Jesus is not here in person today, his body is in the form of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of healing is to find trustworthy and safe people who will speak to us in love and truth and to tell our stories to them and to receive what they have to say. They may, like Jesus, have to call out an entity or an aspect of you that does not belong to who you are in Jesus. But don't take offense. Listen, because it will bring you healing it will bring you peace. It will bring you freedom. Part of that may also be finding yourself in a counseling relationship with a counselor who can help you. Don't be afraid to take the help that you need. It's available, and I can tell you, it will help you. I'm very glad for the counseling that I utilized 
and the new ways of thinking it helped bring to me. Lastly, I want to encourage you to remind yourself of all that God has done for you and to tell someone about it. This week, I want you to tell two or three people at least what God has done for you. It was so such a powerful thing Jesus did for that Gerasene man when he sent him off to tell the story of the wonderful things God had done. Our testimony is powerful. And as we tell the stories of what Jesus has done for us, it shapes our own mind and helps us to focus on the goodness of God, bringing us hope and freedom and restoration. And that is why I shared with you today so vulnerably my own story. Because as I prayed through this message, the Lord said to me, go tell them the wonderful things that he has done for you. So today, I have two challenges for you. Whatever it is that you are suffering with, or you are worried about, or concerned with, in your own behavior or thoughts, just go naked to Jesus. Just fall at his feet and allow him to love you and speak his truths over you. And then secondly, go and tell, for he has done and will do wonderful things for you. Let's pray. Our kind Father and our loving Deliverer Jesus, I ask that you will take these words and you will bring them home to the brother or sister who needs to hear it and that their hearts will grasp the hope that they can begin to find freedom and full restoration in the name of Jesus and within the body of Jesus, his believers who love him and love them. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, go in peace.